Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. As always, we like to mention right off the top to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Pro Book Nerds. You can always send us a note with feedback, suggestions, or your reading challenge to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. We are so grateful that you're here and we hope you enjoy this episode. Happy reading. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. As you can tell from the jazzy title I will have come up with by the time this is out, today we are here to talk about our auto-buy authors' books, but because we are also library lovers, Libby users, and sometimes balling on a budget, we're also including things that we just automatically read or place holds on or what have you. So it's going to be a grab bag conversation today. To kick us off, I would like to start by welcoming and introducing my two guests. I have Sydney and Tiffany today. Hello. Hi, Emma. How are you? I am good. How are you? Doing well. Oh, hi. <laughs> I'm also here. <laughs> Thought we were jumping right into intros. You Hello, know what? Emma, what? Hi. We Hi. are struggling. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. We're just having a blast on a Friday afternoon. That's right. I oh. am going to call on you so that we don't do the awkward Zoom talk over things. Love it. Sydney, yes? will you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at Overdrive? It's been a while since both of you have been on an episode, and I want to give people a refresher. Yay. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to be back. So I have been at Overdrive for about eight years. I manage our training team. Emma just made a face that reflects how I'm feeling about those eight years, which is full of joy. Um, yeah, I manage our training team. So I work with a an amazing group of people, including Emma herself, as we put together materials for our library professionals and education professionals to make sure they feel confident about our products. And delightedly, watch me watch me segue, Emma. I get to work with one of my favorite people in the world all the time, Tiffany. Hi, everyone. My name is Tiffany. I am currently remembering my first time on this podcast and the exact chair I was sitting in and who was sitting next to me, but Sydney. Hey. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, stop. Seriously. Oh yep. We were on my first podcast episode. Uh, I was on with Sydney. I am a product liaison here at Overdrive, and that is a fancy way to, to describe some not fancy things. I work between all of our teams who support our partners, uh, like our content librarians and product support specialists, and then our product and development team. So the folks who create our products, um, I would consider myself kind of a translator and conduit and trainer between the two. Um, and always have a lot of interest in our product feedback from our partners. I love the word conduit, P.S. Yeah. <laughs> such a good descriptor. I would like to call you the conduit instead of the liaison because I can never spell liaison. <laughs> Just remember, <laughs> we're a two-person team. There's two of us. There's mm -hmm. two eyes in liaison. <laughs> That's okay. exactly how I think of it. That's exactly how I think of it. That's actually so true. Like if you 
were to be called product conduits, we could call you <laughs> prod cons. <laughs> oh my People gosh. Are start, again, uh, worrying that I'm a robot. <laughs> prod Imagine. Oh, well, what a fun uh, circumstance of events to have you both on today at the same time, mostly because you're two of my favorite people that I get to work with at Overdrive and because I trust your book tastes implicitly. Uh, same, full same. <laughs> so yes, I thought this would be fun. And because I know we all have very different approaches mm-hmm. to what we buy, how we organize things, etc. So I thought it would be fun to hear a variety of ways that we deal with all the books. I say deal with, that deal we with. get to enjoy <laughs> all of the books, books. <laughs> that we um, get to interact with on a daily basis, it seems, in this library publishing world. Love it. So I'm going to ask you guys a bunch of questions um, cool. and put my little interviewer hat on. I'm ready. This is a very serious question. Oh, boy. It's not. Mm. Okay. What makes an author... Or a book, mm. but we'll start with author. An automatic, I say, purchase slash thing you engage with because we'll talk mm. about it. Sometimes we use tags, we use holds, we like, you know, mm-hmm. we're not just going to immediately run to the store and buy. But what makes an author that automatic, I will engage, I will grab you? Mm. It's so. Hard. It is hard. I think that the answer is it's twofold. So the first and maybe more obvious answer is previous interaction. And well, I know we'll get to that. I know we're going to talk about who we've loved, who we've come to trust. And I feel like not only being avid readers, but also active in the book industry, we've had a lot of time to kind of cultivate those lists of like no brainer buys, right? Where I'm just like, I see this author or this genre come across my TBR and I'm a, I'm going to immediately snatch it up, right? If I see it facing out in a bookstore, I want to pick it up and fondle the cover. Um, to delve into new folks, sometimes I will rely on read-alike lists. I'll rely on recommendations like from you folks. I actually listen to this podcast a lot. Sometimes I have Mm -hmm. to stop listening to this podcast because my TBR will start to groan. Um, There are some folks here who are my uh, book reading doppelgangers. I'm like, oh gosh, if they've recommended it, then I know that that's something that I have to read. Um, But there are are subjects too that I will always look at. If somebody tells me it's an like – Emily Henry romance read-alike. I'm going to at least pick it up and read the blurb. If somebody tells me that it's new women's horror, I'm going to pick it up and read the blurb. If somebody says it's, um, I don't know, if there's a new take on sort of the witchy dark academia genre that I haven't read before, automatic pickup. If you tell me it's about time travel, Oh, I'll probably read it, read it, even if it's by Jonathan Franzen. No, probably not. Sorry, John <laughs> Fran. What an excellent writer. What a depresso. We'll talk about, <laughs> I can see on Tiffany's list, we're going to be talking about white male authors soon enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are a few of mine. 
On my end, I would say an auto buy is really rare, but an auto hold or auto checkout is not. (laughs) Um, I would say the same thing. If it's an author I'm familiar with, if I like their writing story, if I feel like there's some sort of evergreen quality to their writing where I'll be able to pick up this book again in five years and feel the same way about it. Um, it really, that really requires knowing an author pretty well for me to want to spend the money on that title. That said, if I'm at a bookstore, mm-hmm. and I guess this really isn't auto buy, it's kind of accidental buy. If it's beautiful and I like the the description yeah, yeah. of the story, that might be. Um, and in terms of anything else, I think, Uh, And I know that this might not get as much love as other genres, but sometimes a cookbook might be an auto buy. Ooh. Yeah. If it's a chef that I really like, or maybe someone on YouTube. uh, But I would say there's a lot that's auto checkout and not a ton that's auto buy. And I think we'll get into some of those details. The cookbook, if you don't mind me jumping in really quickly, the cookbook is a really interesting one, I think, because it's the one... I mean, obviously, there are going to be some exceptions like House of Leaves, something that's super interactive, something that's really beautifully done, a travel book, et cetera. But there's something about cookbooks where it just doesn't hit the same unless it's in your hands. Yes. Yeah. And so if I see something, I uh, one of my favorite purchases from a couple of years ago was the Korean Vegan. Okay. I cannot imagine a world in which I will ever have those ingredients on hand or be able to follow. I'm just too new a cook too to be able to follow some of those recipes. But it is one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen. And that was an instant buy, insta buy, because I held it in my hands and thought, oh my gosh, this is a piece of art. I have to have this in my hands. There's a couple. um, Joshua Weissman is a YouTuber who is Mm -hmm. a chef and has a really large following. And really tries to make home cooked uh, from scratch meals accessible (laughs) and fun and entertaining. And once I had gotten his first cookbook, when I found out a second one was coming out, that was a pre-order immediately. Awesome. And then also Molly Weisenberg, if you've uh, if you're familiar with the old blog Orangette, uh, she's a writer, but she also her and her ex husband opened a pizzeria in Seattle that I may or may not oh. have recommended to Sydney. But she brings a really narrative quality to cookbooks and has also had quite distinct eras in her life that I think are really cool to see in cookbook form with those stories along with the recipes take shape as um, she has left marriage, found Mm -hmm. a new partner who is of the same gender. Just very, very interesting stories. I love that you brought up the pre-order because that is absolutely something that's on my list. If there's an author that I've heard about or a book that I'm excited about that I want to make sure is I can do my one small thing to make sure that they're Mm -hmm. successful or that they get some recognition, I will auto buy or I will put it on a wait list or I'll give it a review just so that I can see the hype go up. And if it ultimately isn't the book I thought it was, at least I feel like I did my part to get it out there. That's such a, such a good idea. Yeah. You're contributing. And so I'm interested to know, well, I'm interested to know a lot of things because this, (laughs) all of your answers has now given me 400 more questions. (laughs) So we'll start with Sydney touched on this a little bit. You did this as well, Tiffany. Let's talk about some of those authors that are the ones that we are most likely to interact with. Let's give people some recommendations. So Sydney, we'll just go back in order. What are some of those authors that you are always, or that you're more inclined to always want to pick up or interact with? 
So, you know, from early days of podcasting with me that I Mm -hmm. always, well, I had a holy trinity, right? Which I hope is not offensive to any of our listeners. And since then, some of the branches have shifted. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, one in particular. So my holy trinity now is still the illustrious Rainbow Rowell. She's always my number one. It doesn't matter. She could put out an encyclopedia of nothing um, or and I would I would buy it. I always think of that like John Mulaney special where he talks about being the mayor of nothing. Uh, She could be the mayor of nothing. I bought and sold Kelly Link who I feel is backed up by so much data being the recipient of the MacArthur Genius Award. Like clearly she's, like if I could be someone in another life, it would probably be Kelly Link. And then knocking down my former third branch uh, is now Emily Henry. Uh, There's nothing that she could write. I shouldn't say that. There's nothing that she has written so far that has made me think that anyone will usurp her anytime soon. And that goes from reading Happy Place and being super depressed about it afterwards. I loved it, but I was just like, woof, this is not going to be an immediate reread. I need a little bit of downtime before it comes back. But yeah, that's those three for sure. Um, other folks who almost always will get an immediate borrow, um, Allie Hazelwood. I have some friends who definitely have reminded me that there are some representation issues in some of her books and but I mean you know what I know the formula I'm here for the formula and I don't care that they're formulaic I still think there there are very few books that make me laugh out loud the way she does um so I enjoy them uh Mary H.K. Choi uh Christina Lauren always got to get in like the best written smut in the world Rachel Harrison is new I it just she's always surprising me. And I'm so excited. I haven't read the new one yet. Is that Black Sheep? Is that right? I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. That's a newer one where I'm just kind of like going from the first to the second book. I was really surprised and interested. So I think I'm putting her on my short list as sort of like, yeah, I think I'm always at least going to give it a try. Um, from there, I kind of have like my second rung, which is people that have put out a lot of books I've loved and a couple that I haven't, but I'm still willing to kind of keep in that like half a tear down. And that's Lainey Taylor, who used to be my third branch, but I was not in love with the Strange the Dreamer series, but um, it's very hard for me to have anything surpassed Daughter of Smoke and Bone and Lee Bardugo, where I'm not in love with the Grishaverse, but man, did I love Ninth House and Hellbent. <laughs> and then I've got a whole new list of people where it's just been one or two books I've read, but it's been enough that I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. I just read um, Hello, Stranger by Catherine Center, and I loved The Bodyguard. So now I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what comes next. Um, I am in the middle of reading Yellow Face right now. And I can tell you the second I close that book, I am borrowing Babel. It is so good. It's blowing the top of my head off my body. Um, Lana Harper, who I've read, I think I've read all of the books in that sort of witchy small town series. Um, Beth O'Leary, Julia Whelan, Casey McQuinston, I almost said that wrong. (laughs) And then um, Sangu Mandana. That was the, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but it was like the little, oh, I'm going to say this so wrong, but it was like the 
girl who essentially goes to a little town. She's a witch who has too much magic and she ends up sort of nannying for kids. And oh my God, it was so fun. The irregular. Very secret society. Er Of irregular witches. Of irregular witches. Wow, I can read. (laughs) I know. It's, I meant to, do you like how I just like wrote down a whole bunch of authors and was was like, I'll remember the names of those. I can't remember what socks I'm wearing today, friend. So that was a, that was a far reach. So. I just said a lot of people, but I love them all and will read anything they send my way. But what I like though, is that you have like tiers. Mm-hmm. So you have like your trifecta then you have sort of that, like ones that you're inclined to interact with by borrow. And then sort of the ones that have like maybe been a little hit or miss on taste, but that you'll keep an eye out for new things. And then again, be inclined to interact with. And Tiffany, I am privy to your notes for this episode. (laughs) So I am interested to see which authors are the ones that you are most inclined to interact with. And then also the way that you've categorized them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, as I'm sure we talk about a lot, we, as though I'm hosting this podcast. (laughs) We, collectively. A conversation on any reading podcast is obviously reading broadly, reading widely, reading diversely. Um, So I went through my list and tried to separate a little bit out to be conscious of how many, um, you know, male authors I was centering there, et cetera. Um, But in that vein, Stephen King is always, always, always going to be an auto-read. And like Sydney was saying before, you know, I understand the formula. I I know his writing, so many do so well, so intimately that you could pick up the book, not know it's written by King and know that it's written by King. Um, In reading the... uh, the Outsider, If It Bleeds, Holly, the, that sort of series right now. Um, I have picked up on a little bit of anti-fat bias that is incredibly problematic and that, you know, perhaps 20 years ago, I was not aware of diet culture's woes uh, and pitfalls. And so I may not have been as aware of that in his writing now, um, but it, it is problematic. Um, I also am a big fan of uh, Andy Weir and Frederick Bachman. Um, Andy Weir's uh, Project Hail Mary was a huge hit for me. I just, I just really, I love a buddy story. It's great. Um, and then also Cal Newport. He is a nonfiction writer who focuses on um, productivity, but from the lens of actually getting real deep work done and limiting your uh, digital interactions on a daily basis. Um, so that would go in my uh, white male category. Aside from that, um, I really enjoy um, Audrey Gordon, fantastic. And uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, she wrote Americana, Happy Yellow Sun, We Should All Be Feminists. Just really enjoy her writing style. Um, Ibram X. Kendi, anything that he writes, especially from a historical perspective, is great. Um, And then some others that I don't know how popular they are in the reading sphere because I don't hear people talk about them a ton. But Laura Vanderkam, who's also sort of a writer about productivity and things, but with more of a focus on enjoying the the moment, um, making more time for time to feel longer. And that also bleeds into my interest in Jenny O'Dell. Um, she's, I think, fairly fairly new as an author. Um, she wrote How to Do Nothing, which of course I thought, oh, is this going to be self-care? Is this going to be, 
you know, there is no such thing as laziness. Um, and it's really, her writing is very dense, but it takes an interesting approach to the world around us, um, time and how we interact with things and what productivity means or doesn't mean and how it relates to art and all kinds of other things. So um, those are also on my list. And then um, if I were to just rattle off a couple more, you know, uh, <laughs> Glennon Doyle, Karen McManus, Nina LaCour, Kate Bear. I love picking up a Kate Bear book and just flying through her poetry. And then I also created a list that's authors I want to be auto-reads. But <laughs> dear listeners, if I'm being honest, my TBR is at a number that I don't really want to share here publicly. Um, <laughs> it's significant. Nothing has ever gone on there that wasn't like a recommendation or that I read a blurb of and thought was interesting. Um, but if I were to expand that, I would say Vari McFarlane that I was introduced. I was introduced to to her because of Sydney. Um, Maria Semple, only because I'm still obsessed with Where'd You Go, Bernadette, but I haven't read yes. it before. And Rainbow Rowell, because oh, I, I appreciate those. It, but I think I almost save them for when I know I need to pick up a book that mm-hmm. I'm going to like. So that, yes. those are. I feel really bad that I left Nina LaCour off my list. <laughs> it that's was an art. She's, heart. It was there. It is. Your- it's, that's on my, that's a, that's an auto purchase. That's not even, that's not even second tier. That's like well, banging. And it's funny because when we, I like started sitting down to think for this episode, I was like, oh, I don't have that many that I <laughs> like auto buy or like, and then as I've sat here all day, I'm like, oh, this one. Like, why would you oh, lie to yourself one like that? more. <laughs> yes. So I know that list was longer than I thought it would be. Yeah, like where you're like, oops, actually. (laughs) I mean, trying to look at my shelves and think about who. So this is like auto purchase. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will delve into this with you guys in a minute because my auto purchase list is getting unwieldy and I don't (laughs) have the funds (laughs) to sustain like this much of an auto purchase. Um, Auto buy in this economy? (laughs) Honestly, like, right. The pre-orders in this economy where I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I pre-ordered that. (laughs) Oh, okay. I did that, huh? Um, Yeah. You're, you're going to cringe at how many copies of the new Sarah J. Mass I've pre-ordered. I feel like though you, how many can you read at once? Oh, you can't. Uh, they just have all the like different exclusive editions. They really went (laughs) hard on the editions for her new book that comes out in January. And so there's like a books a million version, Barnes and Noble, indie bookstore. There's I think they've identified that there's like a a Sarah J. Moss. Uh, Yes, they have persona. They have. Where we're just going to buy all of them. There's a Walmart yeah. exclusive. Um, so I did. Wow. I bought five. But you're also like <laughs> a self-identified. I don't want to say super fan because it's not just about fandom, right? Like I think that there's right. like something to be said for collecting editions of something that you love. Like I I have multiple copies of Rainbow Rowell books. Some of them are signed. So they're, that makes them really important. Like sometimes the hardcover and the paperback edition will be different and I kind of want both especially if I am going to take it to a signing um but I don't know like it's it's you could be collecting Corvettes you know what I mean at the end of the day or you could be collecting this way about every author you ever read and you're not it's right you've got your your person it is a few and far between but I will 
say this podcast has not helped because yeah. one of my auto buy categories is author interviews. So anybody that I interview yeah. on the podcast, I usually will try to track down a copy, yeah. a cool copy, a signed copy or something because why? I don't know. Because you have um, a personal connection now. Yeah, and this that is, is like so a, cool and cool. something to celebrate. It's yeah. like something to celebrate and it's part of your career. Memorabilia. You know? I don't know. Like, yeah. Um, so that's that has been a, a like a catalyst, I think, for the mm-hmm. recent like rise in my auto purchases. <laughs> Um, because some of those authors include Emily Henry, Sarah J. Mass, Caroline Kepnes, Rachel Harrison, Sarah Dessen, Penny mm. Reed, Ellen Hildebrand, Lisa Jewell, Sally Hepworth, Riley Sager. Uh, those are all folks, not all folks, but a lot of those folks have been on the podcast and I just love them. And so I want all the things that they make. I am eagerly awaiting her return. <laughs> I know she's been working on books the last few years and they just have not been the ones. So mm. if it I'm, makes you feel any better about your auto purchasing of author interviews or authors you've interviewed, I can't say I wouldn't do the exact same thing exactly. doing what you were doing. So yeah. In fact, I'm like, hmm, I should go listen to some of those. And because I love Emma, I will also want to. <laughs> This is going to right. become a problem that we were trying to avoid. <laughs> it is. Like, but Emma talked to them and that was exactly. such a great interview. Now I have to have that book too. Mm-hmm. There are definitely a few on your list, Emma, where I'm like, you know, I've actually never read an Ellen Hildebrand, but you talk about like, I know that that's coming, but I am going to try borrowing it first because yes. I usually buy copies of books as art, as collector's items, mm-hmm. but I usually... <laughs> I will usually borrow the digital copy anyway, because I like to be able to take everything with me all the time. So I want to take it on my lighter device, but then I just want to, I just want to touch the books. I just want to hold the books, especially if they're beautiful. I do that too. It's funny. So like I recently did this when I read The Return by Rachel Harrison, Mm. I had it checked out on Libby, but I also have the book. And so I like rotate it. Because I like didn't want to carry the book with me, but I wanted to keep reading. So I kind of just went back and forth. So that's certainly something that I think we all do as well. The one who wrote Cackle. I haven't read that, but okay. I haven't read that, but it is on my, (laughs) like everything else. It's on my TVs with everything I've ever read. I cannot recommend her books enough. And I don't like horror, but I like Rachel Harrison. (laughs) I love a horror because, especially right now in spooky season, which Personally, for me, starts September 1st. I know for most, it's just October, but it just wasn't enough time in years past. So September 1st starts spooky season. Um, And I love a horror this time. But I think part of the reason I like reading horror is because it doesn't tend to scare me like a horror movie would or a TV show. Uh, So when it does, I'm extra impressed. When I am Mm -hmm. spooked, I think, oh, okay. And I can almost call back to those moments in the stories where I think, Okay, I see what you did there, and now I I can't sleep. That's what the yeah. return did for me, which was really exciting because it was during it came out during COVID, and I remember that getting me out of a reading slump. That may have even been the book that I chose for our episode on reading. Getting out of a reading slump was that book because I remember it just being have, like, yeah. "Oh my god!" Ended up buying it for some folks for Christmas. Um, I 
recommended it to our friend Katie, who's always looking for good horror stuff. And I was like, you have to read this book. And it just felt fresh in a way that I hadn't I hadn't seen. I will talk for just a second about Stephen King if I can, because that is like that is like a long term love. And I will say that the thing that is notably absent from my list, and I'm just gonna come out and say, like, I don't, I don't read dudes anymore. I don't read male authors. I don't trust them. I don't like them. It's like it's either, and I feel like, you know, I'm 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 throwing them under the bus here because it's like either you don't have any women in your book, in which case I don't trust you, or you have women in your book and you can't write them, in which case I don't trust you. I did read some Andy Weir, and I think I would go back to him for sure because it was just a really no other way to say it. He's just really friendly writer. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like we were hanging Mm -hmm. out which I absolutely loved. And it was like hanging out with a really good friend. Stephen King does not get a pass for the stuff he has done or continues to do. Like in the past, he was just like misogyny King. And now he's like Mm. fat phobic King. (laughs) But I can tell that he's trying. Mm. I can tell that he's heard some of that feedback. And like, he's my parents' age. Like it's hard to, you know, move past. It's not an excuse by any means, but I, I, I will even if I don't forgive him for it, or even if I don't let him get away with it, I still want to read him because that is like, those are some deep ties to my childhood. Hands up if you read Stephen King way too young and now you are the way you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, I blame slash credit him for my deep horror roots. And so I, I just have to give a shout out to, to him for being the first to make yeah. me be like, ooh, I want to be scared all the time. And that does check out when I think about some of the things he said about books that he wrote when he was much younger. You know, it was a different time Mm -hmm. and you can't go back and and change those things. You can get better now. Um, And yeah, there's just, I feel like whenever I'm reading on my Kindle, a a King book, I'm just highlighting a passage and a passage and a passage because it's either a really good observation about humanity or I am amazed by how masterfully he characterized someone in so few words. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd. And if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he is a master. Well, and there's something to be said for those authors where you've just been reading them for so long. They have such a large body of work that you've read, like a 
a majority of that like nostalgia, you're just always going to be intrigued by what they have coming out next. Totally. And Uh, even if every one of his books isn't a favorite, or if I don't think, wow, that's the best King story I've ever read. There's so many that are (laughs) really hard to choose. My favorite is uh, 112263. That is the ultimate favorite King book. So good. But I enjoyed The Outsider. And when I was little, I think the book is Nightmares and Dreamscapes. You know, he has a lot of short story. Oh, I love that book. And I think we went camping as a family and my mom thought, oh, let's read a King book, you know, at night. (laughs) If any of you have ever listened or sorry, read The Moving Finger in which a finger starts coming out of this kid's drain in his bathroom. Nope. That's the one that we read while camping in the woods, which I mean. To be fair, there wasn't a drain around, but I still, to this day, I'm not the same. Uh, yeah, I, thanks, Mom. Traumatized. For those of for those of in the audience who don't know that Tiffany and I are the same person, we're not robots. We aren't actually the same person, but the similarities in our lives are unbelievable. Um, my dad and I read The Shining before we went camping in Yosemite, and now, like, I know a topiary is supposed to be like a nicely trimmed hedge, but at one point we were bird watching or like by somewhere and he was like hey can you go back to the van and get this and all i remember (laughs) is my under 10 year old under under double digit self running back to the van under my breath going topiary 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 (laughs) i was so sure that all of the scrub around me was going to come to life and bite my head off Absolutely. And I'm like, that's a long time ago. I remember it viscerally, but also wouldn't give up that memory for anything. Love it. Love it. Well, right. It had such a big impact and then (laughs) contributes to the love of, you know, these books for years and years and years. Yeah. And I need, well, I don't need to do anything, but I, as we see, I like have dabbled lightly in horror Mm -hmm. recently. Reading Rachel Harrison, Clay McLeod Chapman. Mm-hmm. I've only read one Stephen King. Mm-hmm. One. Which one? Um, the Institute. Oh, I haven't read that one, actually. I haven't read that one either. And the reason why I chose that one is because Santino Fontana narrates. Okay. Well, I mean <laughs> that that was it. That's you an auto it? listen, right? Like yeah, that that's was amazing. A, maybe a weird first choice of his books, I think, but it was good. That's awesome. It was weird. I think, I think eleven twenty two sixty three might be a good option because yeah. it's not just a horror story and it's not super horror. It's definitely yeah. unsettling. Um, and although it's also quite a tome, it doesn't feel like it. So definitely recommend that. That's a good okay. one to recommend. Or fairy tale. I'm like, I haven't man. Read- oh, my God, Look at You're him saying he's it. an auto read, and I'm, no. but also he, category. he comes out with a lot of books, though. Yeah. Yes. Like one a year, it feels yeah. like. Two I have year. another horror suggestion, and I know Ooh. I'm completely off topic. Nope. We'll take it. <laughs> I just read uh, The Silent Companions. Is that by Laura Purcell? I'll check the author's name. Um, and I think back in the 1600s, you know, when you look at some of the paintings from that era, you've got like the cherubic faces and the uh, it has that feel to it. They're used, they used to do these wooden cutouts. So if you go like Google search like wooden companion or in the 1600s um, and that they take a, a major part in the story. 
and uh, no one can see Emma's grimacing face right now, but it's, yes, if you would like an an apt uh, spooky tale for this season, The Silent Mm -hmm. Companions has me wanting to uh, find one of these in some sort of antique store and scare the wits out of my friends. Oh my gosh. are the most horrible things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I'm not going to I hate Look innocuous. And yeah, what if they moved while you were... Yeah. I just looked up the cover and that is one of the spookiest covers of a uh, book I've ever seen. So creepy. Anyhow, um, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, that is we love all the book recommendations. I'm not <laughs> going to look it up, but yeah. I trust you. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So we talked about what makes these authors auto-buy, auto-engage with who some of our favorites are. I want to know a little bit more specifically what your system is. Like, Ooh. I think we're all perhaps biased to utilize the resources we have, one of which being the Libby app. It's mm-hmm. so easy to use. So I'm curious to know which thing, like how you use Libby or how you use other tools. Like what's your system for things that you want to keep track of, you want to read, you want to engage with outside of things that you'll like pre-order or go pick up at the store? I ran across this recently because it's been a while since I've been to, so I just recently went on a trip to Seattle and I got to go to an amazing bookstore there. And then I got to go to the Ripped Bodice when I was in Brooklyn over the summer. And it was just so nice to be back in a beautiful bookstore. And I bought things both places and I do the exact same thing every single time, which is if I own it and I put my hands on it and I touch this beautiful cover, I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. It immediately goes on my Kindle. Like I'd immediately become something I borrow from Libby. It is never going to be a paper book that I will crack. I try, but I just, I read into dark places. My eyesight's not as good as it used to be, blah, blah, blah. I don't feel like holding up the big heavy book. Okay. Um, but my number one thing that will get me to auto buy, I guess, is a staff pick. You write yeah. on a handwritten card and you have either something else I've already loved and then I see what else you love or you just have a really compelling staff recommendation card and I, it's, it's immediate for me. <laughs> and that can be digital as well. I think I was just looking at a library's shelf talker the other day mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, oh no. Now I have to put <laughs> everything by this author onto my TBR because of this one shelf talker. So I definitely am a big staff picks person. I think that aligns with me as well. I am a huge, this person just recently recommended it to me and it's a good friend or someone who has similar reading tastes. Um, I used to be a bit more prescriptive in the books I would decide to read for a year. For a while, I was focused on, you know, picking up a classic every month, et cetera. And I think, I don't know, I hit a certain age this year. We won't share what it is. It's fine. It's, I'm still young. It's pretty. Listen, Tiffany, Um, 25 looks great on you. Thank you. I know it was really, it was really tough crossing this. Oh, what's going to happen at 26? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) but, um, yeah, the recommendations are definitely, um, something that sways me a bit more. I feel like once I, I turned, uh, once my birthday happened, I really wanted to focus on just like, what do I want to read? Not what do I feel obligated to read? 
but what do I want to read? And sometimes that want comes from the excitement on someone's face when they describe a book, or if they tell me the reason why they think I would like something, that tends to be the auto, okay, I placed it on hold or checked it out. Um, and sometimes when they come at the same time, I'll just send like 25 books to my Kindle and we'll see what happens. Um, so yeah, I think recommendations for me are are one of the main factors. And this podcast doesn't help. I also enjoy no. um, Ann Bogle's podcast, uh, What Should I Read Next?, and between the two, <laughs> I have too many recommendations. Also, the Goodreads lists. Um, I'll try to like rank things on Goodreads, and when they're like, "This falls hottest new books," oof, oof. like, uh oh. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about um, reading what you want to read because I think knowing you as a person, like knowing you outside of work, and knowing what it means to have someone say, like, "Hey, I think you'd like this book." I I fall for that in the best possible way. If somebody's like, this reminded me of you, you could give me like a baby blue chenille sweater. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I'd wear it because it, it reminds you of me. Like, that's so exciting. Yeah, and I yeah. want to figure out why. And it makes me feel connected. But beyond that, I like the idea because I, I have been with you through the like, I think I'm going to read this because I feel like I should or because I want to better yeah. myself or because I feel like this is something I missed in school. Um, I've been really, I I admire that a lot. But I also love the fact that if you look at your TBR, <laughs> I'm analyzing you now, Tiffany, get ready. Do, I love when you it. look at your TBR, when you tell me about the books that you've read, you're not just out there like reading. And there's nothing wrong with fluff. Like I love fluff. Mm-hmm. Wait till you get to my you know, reading list or what I will pick up most often. I'm the fluffiest of all fluff. But I do like the fact that you'll read stuff about productivity. You'll read stuff about you know, bettering yourself or interesting things that come up at work or interesting problems to solve, or you will read a classic because it sounds fun. It sounds like an interesting time of year to read it. Like I think about how people treat themselves as readers. Mm-hmm. And I would feel like if there were a couple words I could think of to describe you as a reader, it's eternally curious. <laughs> and like you're interested in self-improvement but not in a cheesy way you like genuinely want to be the best version of yourself and I think that's really reflected on all your reading habits I just I admire that I over the last few years have become a big DNFer I've gotten to the point where I'm like life is too short and I don't mean that in like a oh your book didn't I don't like your book like I I I don't leave reviews anywhere I'm not a Goodreads person. I'm not out here giving things two stars if it didn't connect with me. I don't feel the need to do that except for myself. So I don't pick up something again. Um, But I have found that that has both narrowed what I read in a lot of cases and has gotten me out of my comfort zone in other ways. Like I will now delve into interesting, unusual nonfiction just because I'm like, I don't know, like I've never read anything like this before. I have a very vague outside interest in this one thing and I'd like to pick up a book on it. But it also means that I won't just silently go through and be like, well, this author blurbed this person and then this person and this person and just devour them all. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to the like, if Emily Henry wrote da 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 da, like that's not an instant read for me. If if I get ten pages in and I don't like it, maybe yeah. it's more like fifty. I don't care about DNFing. I'm like, you yeah. know what? This isn't pulling me in. I I've got other things I want to be doing with my life mm-hmm. than reading this book. 
it took me so long to get to, I was always like a, a, I was a complete, completer, completionist, completist. What's the word? We don't know, but (laughs) I just felt obligated. Like I need to see this through either because maybe it gets better or I just need to know just how much I hate it by the end of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I've definitely been inspired I'm a hate again. read this. <laughs> I definitely hate read a book. I spite read it and and I have regrets. Um, but at least I know I really didn't like it. Um, but yeah, I, I do enjoy reading broadly. And that actually brings me to an interesting point that I tend to listen to nonfiction. Oh, me too. Rather yeah. than read it because I just can't. Sometimes when it's more factual, I I want to absorb it, but I just do it better with my ears. Um, And so when I think about what I auto buy, it tends to not be the nonfiction because I've enjoyed it in audio and it feels a little different in print. Right. There are those certain formats, I feel like, that lend themselves to those genres. I'm like, when is this coming out? Listeners will know if they Mm -hmm. listen to the episode where I read Jackal and discussed that with Joe, that there are certain, you know, genres or formats that don't necessarily work for me on audio or that I have a harder time with. So I think that that's true. And the reason I bring that up is because Jackal has a lot of really cool, like font changes. There's some imagery, there's some like news articles peppered in throughout. And a lot of that, I started to listen to it on audio and then had to switch to the ebook because I was not paying close enough attention. Yeah. And so I think that that's true. Like there are certain things where I'll know I want to interact with it on audio versus other formats. Yeah, definitely. And unless it's something I think nonfiction wise, I'm going to refer back to actively, probably not going to purchase it, but that doesn't mean that it won't go on my auto read list for that author if I really enjoyed yep. it. It, it. Chances are more likely that it will go on that list. That's so true. And so we're deviating a little, but I, this, a listener, Stuck. so a listener commented this on Instagram and I feel like a light bulb went off in my head. They, we asked about like buying taste versus reading taste and buying can also oh. mean like, you know, interacting, placing holds, checking books out mm-hmm. is like, do you buy eclectically, let me rephrase that. Do you buy in line with what you read or is it hodgepodge? And what they had said that actually resonated with me is they buy books pretty eclectically, which I do as well. I'm pretty susceptible to like literally anything, a book (laughs) display. Um, But then they just read romance. And so I do that as well. Like I buy (laughs) stuff. Like if I see it at the library used book sale or whatever, or I like, ooh, this is so hypey. This looks great. I'm going to try it. I'll buy mm-hmm. stuff, which is weird. I'll like put the money into it. Yep. Um, yeah. Even if it's not necessarily in line with what I'm going to read. Right. So I'm interested to know what y'all do. I would, I, to me, it, because we were talking before about, you know, okay, I might auto buy a cookbook or I might auto buy the next in a series. That's really great. If I'm going to like spend the money on the copy that I want to display on my shelf. Um, I it's now like that has to be a book that I feel I want to reread in my lifetime. And as a person who's not a rereader, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me what books actually make the cut. 
and they don't often make the cut right away. I don't finish that book and then go buy it. It might be a month or a couple months later where I'm still thinking about part of that story. And I think, wow, that was, I was amazed by the author's craft or these characters. And like, this book feels like a part of me now. And so I want it on my bookshelves as sort of, you know, an extension of myself. You're blowing my mind here. (laughs) I'm like, teach me your ways. (laughs) I I just, uh, I'm trying to think of some that I've bought more recently. uh, the Stationery Shop by Mar- Marjan Kamali. I just, oh, it, was, yeah. it was a romance, but it was also historical fiction. And mm. sometimes I find it hard to get into historical fiction. I wasn't necessarily really great at history, but maybe this is a good thing. I can get better at it through the books. Um, and I just really, maybe the story reminded me a little bit of my own return to my high school sweetheart romance. So that stood out to me. Um, the Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. That one was one where I was like, okay, I like that. And the more I thought about it, I thought, no, that's a five-star read for me. I really, really like it. Um, but that said, you all can take your book jackets and you can keep them. You can throw them in the recycling bin. You can throw out the dust covers. I just, I can't, I can't do it. I know, Emma, I feel like that's sacrilege, but. Wait, so many people do that? What? Get rid throw of their dust jackets? Yeah. What do, what do you mean by people? Do you mean me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess, and I think it's yeah. because, so I'll weigh in. I typically, my my reading has shifted from auto buying physical copies whenever I'm interested in anything to trying it out in digital first. And that includes auto, quote unquote, auto buys. The new Rainbow Rowell comes out. I'm probably going to buy it anyway. That is a collector's item for me. I'm buying it because of the look, the feel, the sprayed edges, the, you know, she also does a ton with like, hey, we've got custom illustrations, da, da, da. Um, And I know that I want that as sort of like a, I'm building a library of the books that I know that I'll love. But let's talk about Rachel Harrison. I don't necessarily know that I have to have that in my hands. A lot of that is going to be what does it look like? How does it feel in my hands? Is it the right size? Do I like the color? Do I like thing? I have special editions, I think, of the books that I love the most. And they don't have to be like special, special. Like there's nothing particularly special about some of the copies I have of like old paperbacks of things. But there's something about having the physical copy that makes me feel like if the internet were to fail tomorrow and I no longer had <laughs> electronic copies of my books and I had to just stay at home for the rest of my life and read what was on my shelves, what are the books that I'd want to surround myself with? And some of them are classic things that I've loved forever. And some of them are like, I just kind of want to have this around me. Mm-hmm. And it's not always, you know, a beauty contest. Um, I had another point, but it went poof right out of my pretty little head. It'll come back. It'll come back. No, but I think that that's such a good point. And I'm always so intrigued because it seems like the way that people collect books or acquire books or interact with books is obviously so personal. It's so subjective. I love hearing the ways in which people determine like, what am I going to buy? What is special to me? Especially I feel like with the like uptick in special editions or custom editions or things like that, where like, the the amount of books it feels like that we are trying to consume uh, is just there's so there's too many it's too much. I mean I 
I've spoken about this, I think a little bit with some other folks that we work with, but because we're so adjacent to the book industry, we have access to so many books. It can almost get too overwhelming where you're like, I have too many choices. I have Kindle. I have the library. I have advanced copies. I have things that have just come out. I have books I've had for 10 years that I need to like actually read because they've been sitting here. And so sometimes you're like, whoa, okay. (laughs) I remembered my other point, which was that unlike Tiffany, I am a rereader. So much like folks will rewatch their favorite shows when they're anxious because they know what happens. I will reread things there are things I read every year. There are things I read like once every few years. There are things that I want to reread, but I have to like give some time and space because I don't want them to wear out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those are still things that I want to have on hand in physical format so that I, those are still my like comfort reads, I guess. Yeah. And that's such a good point that I didn't even remember because I have a lot of books that I reread as well, but I'm like precious with the physical ones. So I will have them because I have to have them, but then I will reread them on Libby because I don't want to like further wreck the spine or something. Now I feel like I understand a clear distinction that I did not realize about myself and my bookshelf, which is, well, I'll start by saying, I think throughout, (laughs) throughout my lifetime, at some point, my books were, the books on my physical bookshelf were sometimes aspirational. Mm, um, in same. a more insecure part of my life, they were probably more um, showy. Like, oh, I read this book. Oh, I have this book on yeah. my shelf. And now they are not only am I color coded because that's how my brain mm. works, um, but they are, as I was saying before, representation of like books that felt like me. And so it's sort of okay, what fits in with this? But in hearing about some of the collector's editions and the spine, et cetera, I beat a book up. I will have I do too. eight colors of highlighter in it. I will have pen. I will have pencil. We've already talked about what I'll do with the dust covers, um, <laughs> dust jackets. I'm using all the different terms here. Um, so I feel like you all have helped me learn a little bit about my like what's on my bookshelf. Yeah. It's really like things that I have consumed, put through the ringer, and now are kind of a part of I also beat a book up and it's funny because it's like I, when I'm thinking about the things that are on my shelves right now. So I, we're also like when I'm thinking about this, when I'm visualizing what we're talking about, I'm thinking about the bookshelf in my bedroom, which is where like mm-hmm. my editions of things sit. It's all my I have everything by Philip Pullman. I have everything by Rainbow Rowell. I have everything by Mary H.K. Char- like they're all lined mm-hmm. up and they're like little mini categories where I'm like, these are my people. Yes. But I also have 900 other bookshelves in the house. My husband and I, you know, have architecture books and cookbooks and I have a whole shelf of like weird esoteric stuff where I'm like oh, this doesn't really fit in anywhere I just kind of shoved it in here because in my brain it all goes together and there are some editions of things that I bought two copies of yeah. because one I bought because it's a beautiful edition of it and some I bought so that I can spill an entire pot of coffee on because <laughs> I know I will yeah. I will crack a spine I will fold a page. Mm-hmm. I will lend it to someone so that they know that they too can beat the book up. I'm not precious about lending it. To, it's like if someone can use this, I will buy extra copies of things to be like, I love this. Please take this and cry on it, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um yeah, so, so there are some editions that I'll have multiple of just so I can beat one to hell because that's how I show books that I love them. 
Yeah, I do have some where I have like a reading copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. so that's well, the one I can just copy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can just like read it, toss it around, throw yep. it in my bag and mm-hmm. not be too precious with it. And then I have the ones that are like, whoa, nobody mm-hmm. touches it. No one these. touches it. <laughs> but I like what you said earlier too, because sometimes my reading copy is just my Libby copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Just- oh. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I am so fascinated by all of these things. Like we just, I just love to chat about books in general, book habits, the way people organize things, the way they do things. So listeners, if you have a particular method, authors you auto buy, titles you auto read, if you are strictly digital or you buy everything that you read, we would love to hear it. So please be sure to message us on social media. We are at ProBookNerds on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Or you can send us an email at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Thank you so much, Tiffany and Sydney, for giving us lots of good bookish thoughts, bookish recommendations, authors, and lots of food for thought, I think. Thank you. Delight to be back on. Wonderful to talk to you both. Oh, thanks for joining me on this fun Friday and hope everybody has a wonderful afternoon. I'm just babbling. Happy (laughs) reading. Happy reading. Happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.